We're in the book of Ruth, and uh, Ruth is one of the best stories ever written. In fact, uh, the story that uh, um, people just migrate to in regards to it just gravitates the heart. It grabs a hold of the heart. And even the way that it was written, it just it carries such a weight, such a, a beauty to it. I challenge you, and hopefully everybody is, just reading through the book of Ruth. I mean, I don't even need to preach. Just read through the book of Ruth, and it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's absolutely amazing. Um, who wrote it? Um, there's no uh, indication on who exactly wrote it. Most scholars believe that it was Samuel was the person that, uh, that wrote it. And uh, I kind of migrated more towards Samuel as well. Whoever the author was um, that wrote the book of Ruth... Uh, had an intention in mind, and the intention was to point to the Messiah. That was it. I'm going to take the book of Ruth, and I'm going to point right to the Messiah. We see that in the very end of the book of Ruth. There's a baby that was born, and the baby's name was Obed, who had a son. His name was Jesse, who had another son. His name was David, which is a man after God's own heart. And then we see Jesus going through the line of David, pointing back that I'm the son of David. Uh, so the author of the book was had an intention to proclaim the Messiah to the world, to give the Messiah completely and entirely to the world. In fact, look at this this love story, and when you look at this love story, Jesus' fingerprints are just written all over it. Now, the book of Ruth is a transitional book in the in the Bible. I mean, if you think of the whole Bible, you think that you know, yes, we fell. That's what took place. Sin happened. Uh, then God made a covenant to his people through Abraham, and that goes through the book of Genesis. Um, but what does this covenant look like? Well, all of a sudden, they went into slavery for 400 years. So God made a covenant. They go into slavery for 400 years in Egypt. That was not good times for them at all. And then after they get out of slavery, then there's law that is written. Um, law is, is the whole concept of the law is how are we going to survive together? In other words, we are a people, we need to survive together. So the law was written so we can survive together and not kill each other or hurt each other in the process. How to function as a nation, how to function as a society, that's what the law is. It's not really, not a lot of fun, I'll just tell you that, because everybody broke it. <laughs> and uh, so then the people tried to keep it, but then they'd break it again. And then you get the book of Judges, 300 years of, of pain, misery, and death and and sickness just as a result of everybody did what was right in their own eyes and it was just it was just a mess so you have god making a commitment to his people then you have mass after mass after mass after mass and then all of a sudden there's a huge transitional change it's on the book of ruth pointing to the messiah but what's the book of ruth about it's a love story we wonder what the commitment is in regards to God making a commitment to Abraham. I mean, this is God and people. It's huge. But then this love story unfolds. And the process of this love story unfolded, it seems like everything all of a sudden starts to take a turn, starts to take a, a shift as it's pointing towards a Messiah that loves us. In the book of 1 John, it says, we don't even know what love is until we have seen this love from the Messiah. So when you read this book, You've got to look at Jesus' fingerprints all over it because it's written about him. It's launching towards his direction. The entire Old Testament is about him, but this transitional book about love is pushing right towards his character, right towards his mind, right towards his heart, right towards of who he is and how he thinks of you. So I just want to start the story over again, and I'm sorry I'm telling you the story every single week, but you need to know the first part of the story so you can know the middle of the story. The first part of the story is death, horrific 
death. They lived in the time of Judges. Five different waves passed of suffering. Lived in the time of Judges. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Wasn't good. The other wave of suffering was a famine in the land. Stories about Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons. And as there's famine in the land, God's country, they ended up going to Moab. As soon as they got to Moab, Elimelech ended up dying. Naomi's husband died. And then Naomi's two sons married two Moabite ladies. Now remember where they're at. They're not in God's country anymore. They're in another country, different culture, different God, different way of living. This is not God's area. Israel is God's area, and that's where they're at. And they're suffering. Elimelech died. What takes place is the two sons end up marrying Moabite ladies, Ruth and Orpah. And for 10 years, there's no baby. Uh, no baby means no retirement. No baby means, means no economical status. No baby means a lot back in those days compared to what it even means today. And we understand the hurt that it means today if we can't have a baby. But the hurt intensifies there because it even means a shorter life. Nobody's going to take care of you when you get older. So suffering after suffering after suffering after suffering. After Naomi lost her two sons, she made a decision to return back to to Israel, to Bethlehem. And as she was going back to Bethlehem, her two daughter-in-laws were following along with her. Because that's the commitment of family commitment. But she's going to a no-end life, a widow, not being able to have a baby anymore. In other words, no prospects for a husband, no prospects for a baby, no prospects for a life, no prospects for anything that's good that's going to take place. But as she's looking back at the two daughter-in-laws that are following her, she's like, well, they still have prospects. They could actually turn around and go back home. They're young. They could find a husband. They could find, they could have children. My life is in a dead-end street, but their lives are not in a dead-end street. So she turned around and gave them freedom, blessed them, saying, go back to your own country. Go back to Moab. Go find yourself a husband. Go find yourself a family. Go find yourself economic status. Go find yourself retirement. Go find yourself everything that you want on this earth, what everybody wants on this earth. And she gave them the freedom to turn around and go back. And Orpah, one of the daughter-in-laws, took that freedom and went back. But Ruth did not take that freedom. She looked at Naomi and says, where you go, I will go. I'm not, I'm not leaving you. What is this? This is laying down her life so Naomi can live. Laying down her life so Naomi can have one ounce of retirement. What's that retirement look like? It's, it's Ruth laboring for her entire life to make sure she takes care of Naomi. That's what her retirement looks like. But Ruth is willing to do it. They go back into the town square. When they go back to the town square, it says the whole town was stirred at their entrance. Welcome back, Naomi. And it just made Naomi mad. She was so angry. She said, don't even call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Meaning that I'm bitter. I'm angry. I'm hurt. I'm overwhelmed with suffering. And then she puts the suffering towards who? Towards God. I left away full, but God is the one who brought me back empty. God has testified against me. God is the one that's bringing calamity against me. And the whole city is town is looking at her making those statements and what are they saying she's not doing very good at all a woman who has been crushed but who is this girl with her this girl with her was naomi she didn't come back empty she came back with naomi and a god who loved her no matter what she said about god a god who loved her no matter what she said about god So the next day, everything starts to turn. Everything starts to change. 
uh, Ruth goes into the work in the fields. And as she goes into work in the fields, she comes with her personality. She comes with her character. And what is it? It's, it's humility. Humility in the sense of a soft voice. It's, she's, she's reaping among the, the harvesters, but as she's reaping among the harvesters, it's, it's not as bad as begging, but pretty close. It's complete poverty level. But she comes with humility, making sure that she doesn't interrupt anybody else's business. Asking, do you mind if I glean? I won't get in the way. I won't take what is not mine. I will make sure that I am in my spot. Do you mind if I glean? She had such a humility that everybody in the field, I'd say, everybody in the field has taken notice of her. They don't know her. They only know her from walking through the streets with Naomi. That's all. I mean, she's a Moabite. They don't know who Ruth is. But people are taking notice of her. When I say that people are taking notice of her, is this, this foreman has taken notice of her, and he's taken uh, kind of a checklist of what she is doing. And then the owner of the field, who his name is Boaz, took notice of her and said, huh, I wonder who that lady is. So he goes to the foreman, because the foreman's already taken notice of her, and, and says to the foreman, you know, who is this girl? And then the foreman gives a description to Boaz who she is. She's the one that came back with Naomi. And Boaz is thinking in the back of his mind, <laughs> Why? Why did she come back with Naomi? The only reason she can come back with Naomi is for Naomi, not for her. That's it. It's for Naomi, not for her. And she is working like a dog for Naomi, not for her. But then the foreman goes even further and says, oh yeah, she's been doing it all day. She's been doing it all day. She has been slave laboring all day. And as Boaz takes notice of her, he, he approaches her. And what does he do? He calls her daughter. Practically a statement that even brings into the family as he treats her this way. In kindness. Remember who she is. She's somebody that is in poverty. Somebody that is working in the field. Somebody that shouldn't even be there. Somebody that's annoyance to the harvesters. But he treats her and approaches her with kindness. And then he gives all these instructions. Telling her, don't leave this field. I want you to be safe. I've charged all my men not to touch you. And what that means is they will make sure that nobody else touches you as well. Remember, Boaz is in charge of all the workers. So he starts to shout these orders. He starts to shout these orders, her direction for her benefit. Tells her not to go to the well like everybody else goes to the well. You stay right here because I want to make sure that you are protected. Ruth responds to her like, why me? <laughs> Why have you taken such favor in my eyes? And Boaz says, because I know what you have done for Naomi. And I see you out in the field. And I see your heart. I see your character. I see your love for others. So she works the rest of the day. And then she sits down for a meal. But who does she sit with in this meal? Found in verse 14, at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed her, he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. Now just put this in context a little bit. There's been a famine for 10 years 
There's a famine for 10 years. When was the last time Ruth was satisfied with a meal? Well, she is satisfied in this meal. Satisfied in this meal. She had plenty. But who was she sitting with? She was sitting with Boaz and all the reapers. Are, are, it, this is not her class. This is not her economic status. This is not her position. Uh, she's not even an Israelite. But yet she was invited in by Boaz. This is a big deal. Mostly to be able to eat with somebody in the, in, back in the Hebrew time. I mean, it was a big deal. In fact, if you eat with somebody, it's a sign that you have to grant that person protection as long as they are with you. Grant that person protection as long as they're with you. Remember the, the story of the Levite and the concubine? Went to the guys in Jabesh Galid's house and ate. And all of a sudden, a mob showed up. And as a mob showed up, said, bring that person out. And what does he do? He protects them because they're eating together. It's a huge statement that they're eating together. When she rose to glean after the meal was over, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. And do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her. And leave it for her to glean. And do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out her wheat. Out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Just looking at a couple of these. Boaz's commands are still going towards his people. Let him glean among the sheaves. Sheaves are the, the bundles that are taking place. And if you have all these bundles that are taking place, the gleaners are not supposed to walk around them. And the reason why is because they can pull some stuff out and they can steal it. When there's a whole bunch of things that are happening in this, this political mess after the harvest has taken place. And, and if any reaper starts to walk into the area where they're not supposed to walk, what happens? They get rebuked by the workers. But what does Boaz say? Boaz says, don't rebuke her. Don't give her any sort of reproach at all. In fact, what I want you to do is accidentally pull out some that are in the bundles and just drop them off the ground. You know, just, just pull some out and, and, and leave some on the ground for her as she goes around. What's he doing? He's taking care of her. And she took it up and went into the city. And her mother-in-law, this is after the day's over, her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. And she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she ended up working all day, and when she worked all day, she came home with what? An ephah of barley, which is about six gallons of, of grain. Six gallons of barley. And if you're looking at six gallons of barley, and you bring it home to your mother-in-law and you work one day, the mother-in-law is going to question you. Why? <laughs> That's a lot. Did you break the law? <laughs> I mean, that would be the first day. <laughs> I mean, did, did, you, did you stretch the rules? I mean, you do not go out and get that much and bring that much back. So there was a question. Where did you glean today? This is the mom looking down at the child saying, uh, is this all up to par where have you worked would be the next question. Because where you have worked would tell you where you could get so much. Remember the gleaners are the ones that take the leftovers. They don't take the bundles. But remember what Boaz said. Boaz says pull some out and keep on dropping it for what? For Ruth. So she's just harvesting the land practically. 
She brought it back. And then she says, Naomi says, who is it that took notice of you? Somebody must have taken care of you out in this field because nobody, you could not have done this by yourself. Who took notice of you? So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I had worked today is Boaz. 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 Struck a bell with Naomi. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living and the dead. Naomi has also said to her, The man who is close relative of ours, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. That's the most life we've seen in Naomi in her whole story. <laughs> in fact, Naomi was, was dead. She was dead when she walked into town. The Lord had brought her back empty. The Lord has testified against her. The Lord has done calamity on her, and there's a resurrection that's all of a sudden taking place. Boaz. Do you know who Boaz is? Do you know who Boaz is? He's a kinsman redeemer. What is a kinsman redeemer? Number one in our notes, a kinsman redeemer is a person who buys back, redeems, saves, rescues a family member. Remember what the laws of Moses were about. The laws of Moses were about us surviving together. It's about us loving God and loving others. It's what the whole law is literally about, surviving together. Well, there are some things that were implemented in the law of Moses, and one was a, a kinsman redeemer law. And it came through five different aspects of this law that was out there. And not all these aspects apply to Naomi and Ruth, but I'd just like to go through these, these um, aspects. Letter A, a kinsman redeemer is one who avenged the death or murder of a relative by tracking down and executing the killer. So what happens is if I have a family member who was murdered, I could be a kinsman redeemer, and I'd be the kinsman redeemer that I'd come to my church or I'd go to my buddies and I'd say, all right, let's get on our horse and let's grab our pistols. You know, it's kind of like the Western, and let's go bring justice to the person who did it. That's the law. This is a law that God put into place. There's no police officers back then. It was family members taking care of family members, and a kinsman redeemer would rise up to make sure that justice was done to anybody who hurt a family member. That was first law of the kinsman redeemer. Kinsman redeemer also was one to buy back a family member that has been sold into slavery. And economic times were extremely difficult back then. And as these economic times were difficult, they would um, end up selling themselves to slaves. You'd sell individuals to slaves. And what a kinsman redeemer could do is he could buy the slave back and the person that owns the slave has no choice in the matter. It's God's law. God put the law there that if I have a family member as a slave... I can go to the person and say, I want that person back, and I'll pay what you paid, and then that slave then could be mine. Kinsman Redeemer was one to redeem or buy back land that had been sold by a family member due to hardship. Also one that can consume the land back. Remember, the land was very important back in Israel. This was God's land, and God wanted to make sure that, that the land was owned by his people. So he gave power to the people to say, if you are a family member and that land was taken away from you because of economical hardships or your family, you can go back and you can repurchase that land. Another law that God has put in place. 
Kinsman Redeemer was wanting to look after any family member who had faced critical need and was helpless to meet the need for himself. Those who are in trouble, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to take care of your family members. Letter E, Mary, uh, uh, Kinsman Redeemer, is to marry the wife of a dead brother who had no children. It's a Levite marriage. There's no Levite marriages that take place. Remember, the law is gone. But this is what took place then. Is kids are very, very important. And they wanted the land to pass from generation to generation to generation. If it was not capable or possible, the Levite marriage was placed in the, the book of the law to make sure that things would, would take place before it could happen. So these are the laws that were written, and you have the passages there where these laws were written. But Naomi took the concept of Boaz being a kinsman redeemer to a deeper level than in its intended meaning. Number two in her notes. Naomi took the concept of Boaz being a kinsman redeemer deeper than its intended meaning. Where does this display? This is displays in verse 26 again, which I think is the most transitional verse in the entire scripture in regards to the Old Testament where the Old Testament all of a sudden makes a radical turn. It says this, And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord. May Boaz be blessed by the Lord. Why should he be blessed by the Lord? Because whose kindness has not forsaken the what? The living and the dead. Kinsmen redeemer redeem people who are alive. They bring redemption by justice. They bring redemption by safety. They bring redemption by protection and welfare. But what did Naomi do? She even took it a step further. They blessed the living and the dead. It says, whose kindness? He's not talking about Boaz. He's talking about God's kindness has done what? Has blessed, has not forsaken, has not left the living and the dead. In fact, God's fingerprints are all over this. God's fingerprints are all over this. Kindness, what is the Hebrew word we looked at that last week? It's hased. What does hased mean? Hased is a cluster of spiritual concepts of love, mercy, grace, goodness, loyalty. It's all of God's attributes, beautiful attributes wrapped up in one and just literally dropping on one person. <laughs> Naomi uses this word, whose God's attributes, love, mercy, grace, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, loyalty, has not forsaken who? All those who are alive and also the dead. All those who are alive and also the dead. I just picture Samuel writing this. <laughs> Remember what this book is about. <laughs> this book is pointing to Jesus. And, and, and as Samuel's writing this, he could have got some writings that came down to him. We don't know all the dynamics of it. We do know it's God's word. And what Naomi said is what she said. But somehow Samuel got that in his lap. And then when he writes this, the living and the dead pointing to the Messiah, or in Samuel's mind, pointing to David, which is going to carry out the Messiah. It's like, oh, I love this passage. A kinsman redeemer for the living and the dead. And Hesed is all over it, granting it to all the people in the world. Remember this word, Hesed? Was used in another passage. Remember this passage was used? It was used in chapter 1, verse 6. This is when Naomi turned around to Orpah and turned around to Ruth. And this is what Naomi says. But Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, 
Go return, each of you, to her mother's house. May the Lord deal, what? Hased with you, as you have dealt with me, with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest. What is Naomi doing? Naomi is telling Orpah and Ruth, go back and have a baby. Go back to your culture, go back to your land, and go back to your God. But she's speaking about, Naomi's speaking about her God. You're going back to your God, but let me give you a blessing. And that blessing's not going to come from your God because your God doesn't exist. The blessing's going to come from my God. I want my God to hased you back in the country of Moab. Showering God's blessing on them as they're returning to an entirely different culture that's not even God's culture. Well, then we know the story. What takes place, Orpah goes back. But Naomi comes, and all of a sudden, where's Naomi at? Naomi is, is with, or where's Ruth at? Ruth is with Naomi. Ruth is with Naomi, and if Ruth can have a baby. So the concept of Naomi looking at Boaz, it says, this guy's a kinsman redeemer that has brought a baby back for me in my country, in my land, for the possession of my land. It's a radical, radical, radical verse just in the comments of Naomi taking it to a whole different level than what it is. The other piece about this level that is, is taken out there is that all these laws you're supposed to do. They're written in Deuteronomy. All these laws you, you have to do. They're written in the book of Exodus. These laws are required to do. This is what the law is. But this kinsman redeemer law is, is encouraged, we'll put it that way. This kinsman redeemer law is, is not a law that you must do. It is a law that if you desire to do, you can do. So somebody is murdered in my family, according to this kinsman redeemer law. I get the decision if I want to go after and give them revenge. If somebody in my family is lost land, I get to make the decision to go buy this land. Now, it's not looked at very well if you don't do it, but it's still my decision. This is one law where you get the decision. You put it in there saying you have the legal right to take people out if they murder somebody. But it's still a law where you get to make a decision. And we find this even in Deuteronomy 25, 8 through 9. Because if you don't make a decision to do this, you, this is what the lady gets to do to you if you do not take him for a Levite marriage. Then the elders of the city shall call him if you refuse and speak to him. This is the person who refused. And if he persists, saying, I do not wish to take her as my wife. This is what she gets to do. Then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders and pull his sandals off his foot and spit in his face, and she shall answer and say, so shall it be done to, to the man who does not build up his brother's house. But it's still a choice. If he makes that choice, yes, it's something that's ugly that's going to take place, but it's still a choice. Another statement that this is Boaz. We haven't got to the end of the story. But if Boaz takes Ruth for a wife, it would be a choice that is out there. The other 
passage I just want to look at is a transition for this book is Acts 3.24. This is Luke speaking. And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken for, from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days. What did that just say? And likewise, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and his successors onward also announced these days, saying what? The days of the Messiah. The days of the coming of Jesus. So the start of Samuel, all the way out, Samuel's writing this story. He's loving the book of Ruth. He's writing all these things down, the kinsman redeemer laws. He's writing it down, the love story that's happening. He's writing down the baby that's going to be born. He's writing down all this thing, and then he points it right to King David, and then he points it to Jesus. He's just loving the story about God. That's what he's doing. He's just loving the story about God as he puts it down on paper. Number three, the concept, story, example of the kinsman redeemer points directly to Jesus being the kinsman redeemer. This is not debated. It's not questioned. What the Bible has done. We can look back. Over 3,000 years ago, this story was here. But it's pointing right to Jesus so we can see it right in the whole book. And as we pointing to Jesus in almost every single specific way possible. I mean, think about it. Jesus did not come to save the healthy, he came to save the sick. He did not come to save the healthy, he came to save the sick. Who's the sick? It's the widowed, it's the childless, it's the elderly, it's the lonely, it's the depressed, it's the empty, the purposeless, the sorrowful, the diseased, the suffering, the backslidden, the lost, the poor, the desperate, the grief-stricken, the orphan, the unsaved, the sinful who repent. This is who Jesus came to save. Jesus came to save the person like Ruth. He does it through what? He does it through a son. He does it through a son. When you look at this concept of the kinsman redeemer, I just even want to take the law. Because we also look at the concept that, that Jesus fulfilled the whole law to every point. But remember this law, kinsman redeemer, you get to choose to do it if you want to do it. It's not something you have to do. It's something you get to choose to do. Break down the laws as these laws point to Jesus. I know that not all of them deal with Ruth and Naomi at the time. But all these laws were fulfilled with Jesus. And what does that mean if they're fulfilled with Jesus? That means they're fulfilled in me. It means they're fulfilled in me. Letter A, Christ is the kinsman redeemer who judges those who hurt you. Remember the first law? was to avenge the death and murder of a relative by tracking down the executor and killing the person. You know, one attribute that we often don't preach on or we don't talk about is, is the justice of God. God is a, a just God. It's all the way through Scripture of, of God's justice. In our modern world, since we don't talk about God's justice, we are a crushed people. And we are a people who do not like God as a result of not talking about justice. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by that? The re what I mean by that is that we are a people hurt by people. We are a people that have been radically hurt by people. Some people in this room have been sexually molested, radically hurt by people. Some people in the room have lost individuals in regards to death in regards to affliction from other people that are upon you. Other people are financially in struggle right now as a result of other people doing wrong to you. And as a result of that, you hear radical words of Jesus that says, forgive, let it go, just, just let it go. 
forgive. And what do we do? We, oh, we, can't, we hate God because of that word. In fact, one of the most words that kind of pierce hearts more than anything else. I've been molested. I've been abused. I've been raised in an alcoholic family and, and my, my family has hurt me. My mate has hurt me. My, so much pain has hurt me. And then I read the Bible and it says, just forgive. Why? Well, because you've been forgiven. It just brings anger to our soul. We need to hear the word that God is a God of justice. He is the kinsman redeemer that would make everything right so we don't have to. He's a kinsman redeemer that will make everything right so we don't have to. The reason why God is so aggressive to say forgive is because he knows it will ruin you if you keep it. The reason why he says forgive because he knows it will hurt you, it will burn you full of anger, and you will destroy everything in your tracks if you keep it. The reason why he tells you to forgive is because the anxiety will own you, take advantage of you, will rob you. Everything you own all of a sudden goes away. Why? Because we refuse to forgive. But Jesus is a kinsman redeemer who did not have to go to the cross. But he did go to the cross. He did go to the cross, laid his life down to save our sins and to be the judge of those who sinned against us. A perfect judge. One that knows the thoughts and intentions of everybody's heart. So when you hear these words of God, look at him in the concept of he's the kinsman redeemer. Justice will prevail at his hand. Letter B, Christ is a kinsman redeemer who sets the captives free. Free from what? Free from fear, free from greed, free from anger, freed from every passion that just boiling up inside of us, free from sin, free from addiction, free from death. Freedom is ours as a result of Jesus coming, dying on the cross, going to the grave, and being raised again. It's a kinsman redeemer. Remember what the law is? was to buy back a family member that has been sold into a slave. We we chose what? We chose sin. What does Jesus go? I'm going to buy that family member back, and I am the kinsman redeemer, meaning I have the legal right to do it. And I will make the choice to do it. Let us see. Christ is a kinsman redeemer who buys back the land that has been cursed by sin and death. Remember the third point on the kinsman redeemer was to redeem or buy back land that had been sold by a family member due to hardship. Romans 8 talks about this land. It says the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope. It says that creation has been groaning together at the points of childbirth, childbearing. It, creation is just hurting. When is creation going to be liberated? What is the day that creation is going to be liberated? Because creation is just desiring and wanting to be liberated. The day that's going to be liberated is the day that what? The resurrection happens. <laughs> and when all the graves just kind of explode out of the ground, <laughs> that's the day that the creation will be liberated. It's in Christ's return. Right now, creation, the world, is managing the dead bodies. Is managing all the sin, all the, the filth, the garbage, and the, the price of sin that is in it, and it is groaning like childbirth. One day I'll be able to what? <laughs> I'll be able to free. 
be able to free them. He's going to liberate the land, and then who's going to be the king? He's going to be the king that's in charge of this. This kinsman redeemer, again, is pointing directly to Jesus. Yes, the kinsman redeemer only applied to two different areas in Ruth, but when this word is used, it's applying to every single aspect of the law. Letter D, Christ is a kinsman redeemer who will be coming for his bride. My daughter um, just got engaged uh, a couple weeks ago, and, and uh, she's going to get uh, married on my property. And uh, you won't believe how much work that is going to entail before it is done. Um, I, I have a pile of firewood. Actually, I have about four piles of firewood that need to get into the barn. I have, I have uh, um, piles of cow poop everywhere, and I need to, I need to plant the grass and, and all those things. And, and I look at my watch, I'm like, oh boy, goodness, how long? When is it going to happen? When is it going to happen? You also will not believe the, the money that goes out. <laughs> it's just like, does anybody else want my credit card number? I mean, I just hand you my credit card. The whole world has it right now. And I'm like, Jody, what's going on with the bank account? It's just like, well, your daughter's getting married. It's like, whoa, okay. I guess that's, I guess that's the way that it works. This is where the guy just kind of sits back and say, all right, here, here we go. Put it in gear. But what are we doing? We're preparing for the groom to come and take the bride away. That's what we're preparing for. It's a huge event, a huge activity, and we're excited about it. I'm, I'm excited about it too, no matter how much I'm complaining or how, my, how much I'm paying for it. I'm still excited about it. But but the event is huge. And where does that event point to? It points to when Jesus comes, the bridegroom literally comes from his bride. He chose to do what? He chose to do it. And that's the day that we get connected with God more than we've ever been connected before. We will know more about God the first split second that we see his face than an entire lifetime of studying his word. Instantly know exactly who he is. One day the bridegroom is coming for his bride. He's the kinsman redeemer that rescues us. That's what the whole book of Ruth is about. It's a story. It's a true story. It's a real life story. But when you read the pages of it, it applies to you. Why? Because in the story, there's a Boaz. Story, there's a Naomi. In the story, there's also a Ruth. But we're in the center of that story because we're the Ruth that's in need. We're the Ruth, or the Naomi is in need as well. And Boaz is the Redeemer that brings salvation to us. God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, God, that it's just not a history book to look at and to observe and to enjoy. But God, it is a word directly to us from you. God, you display who you are through your word. You display what you're doing through your word. You display your character, your mind, your thoughts, your ambitions, your desires. You display your love, God, in your word. And we can open it up anytime we want and we can see it. We can recognize it. We can notice it and we can love it. Thank you, God, that you have not left us out in the field all alone. But, God, that you have pursued us with protection, with grace, and with mercy. We love you in Christ's name. Amen.